Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Good morning, this is Jazz Shapers. It's where the shapers of business meet the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. I'm Elliot Moss, and I'm very pleased to say my guest today is Charlie Mayhew, co-founder and CEO of Tusk, the wildlife conservation charity. With a passion for motor racing in his youth, a self-described complete petrol head, Charlie had planned to study engineering at university. However, an uncle who lived in Kenya and South Africa inspired, as Charlie says, romantic tales of the wide open spaces and big cities which sparked my imagination. After visiting South Africa in 1979 during a gap year, he grew to love Africa and wanted to make a meaningful contribution to conservation. In 1985, after a stint as a marine insurance broker, Charlie set up and led the Young Europe Africa Expedition, a team of 33 travelling overland from London to Cape Town through the Sahara and the Congo and undertaking in Kenya a series of conservation and community projects filmed for a Channel 4 documentary. In 1990, he co-founded the charity Tusk Trust and as part of the stimulus for doing so, he co-produced the feature film Lost in Africa, a drama that sought to highlight the ivory trade. Under Mayhew's stewardship, Tusk now partners with organisations in Africa to protect over 40 endangered species and their habitats, reducing human-wildlife conflict and promoting environmental education. And His Royal Highness the Duke of Cambridge is an active patron. As Charlie says, life's too short to pursue a career that doesn't bring you some happiness and satisfaction. I feel fortunate that I stumbled upon a path that has enriched my life considerably. We'll be talking to Charlie in a few minutes about all of this, and we've also got brilliant music from Donald Byrd, Cannonball Adderley, Alex Maleros, and more. That is today's Jazz Shapers. Here's Archie Bell and the Drells with Tighten Up. That's put a smile on my face. I've been moving. I hope you have too. Archie Bell and the Drells with Tighten Up. Wow. Charlie Mayhew is my business shaper. He's co-founder and CEO of Tusk. And I've just given him a wonderful intro. So here he is right now. It's lovely to see you. Oh, well, thank you very much. I'm very flattered to be asked. Um, tell me about this passion and where it came from. And I know there's the trip that happened, but one doesn't just fall in love at uh, first sight, does one? I mean, were there thoughts around what this, what your life would pan out to be when you were well, much younger? Well, before I'd even got onto the continent of Africa, um, as you mentioned in the introduction, I, I had an aunt and uncle who lived out there, and we didn't see them very often, but when they came back to the home country, uh, there were these wonderful tales that they used to tell, which uh, really captured my imagination. And that combined with films like Born Free... And uh, there was a wonderful TV series when I was a kid called Daktari uh, that was all based in Africa. And so when I had the opportunity to to travel having left school, to me, it, Africa was the only place I had to go. And, and so that's what set me on that path. But when I first went to South Africa, towards the tail end of the apartheid area, my initial uh, arrival on the continent had nothing to do with wildlife or conservation. I was actually... 
selling big barrows and stationery around the industrial estates of Johannesburg. So I was basically a traveling salesman. Mm. But that allowed me the opportunity to travel out into the bush areas and places like the Kruger National Park. So that's, that was the first teaser uh, for me to get into Africa. Before I go into the, the passion and then, and then the, the policy that you've been involved in and your beliefs and where you've, how you've acted on your beliefs, I'm just interested around your commercial experience of life. You just alluded to the fact you sold biros and you've done other things. I mentioned uh, semi-careers that you, you, you almost did. What has that given you, that commercial platform, before we get into running a charity? I actually think it's been incredibly helpful for me to have had uh, this sort of semi-commercial life. Uh, I was a financial advisor for a number of years. I've been a DJ. I run a party organizing business. I, you know, I've done sort of various things. There was a time I was also an insurance broker working in Lloyd's of London Market. And having... Uh, that time in the city of London has actually proved to be incredibly helpful as I've set to sort of build the charity up and to use the the network of contacts that I developed during those years working in the city has been invaluable as as uh, as Tusk has grown. But I imagine you weren't miserable. You look like quite a jolly person. I imagine you quite enjoyed that world, even if you kind of thought, I'm not going to be in this world forever. I mean, is that right? Because you, you, yeah. sometimes people make distressed purchases, don't they? They move from one world to another. It doesn't strike me that that's what you've done. I, 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 you know, I like to think that I'm a people person. And uh, as a broker in the Lloyd's market, it's a, mar- it's a marketplace. You're, you're, you're brokering. You're, you're, you're constantly having to deal with people. And, and, uh, and likewise, when I was a DJ... It was all about entertaining people. And, and so, so I love people. And, and uh, that is ultimately the basis of the work that I do now in terms of fundraising is trying to persuade people to contribute to the work that we do in Africa. I think you should introduce the next song because you, you're a DJ and it's Charlie May, who's my business shaper. There it is. There's a piece of paper you can just read there. You can, let's, see, let's see what your, your silky skills look like, Charlie. All right. So uh, coming up is Donald Byrd stepping into tomorrow. That was Donald Burr with Stepping Into Tomorrow. It was introduced by my business shaper before, and that's Charlie Mayhew, and he's CEO and co-founder of Tusk. Moving from the commercial world into the charity world, I always liken it in my own mind to politicians who have beliefs, proper ideology. I imagine you've developed a strong set of beliefs which now underpin the work. Have those evolved over the years? Were they there from 1990? Where's it gone? Absolutely, definitely evolved over time. You know, when I set up Tusk in 1990, it was really set up as a hobby because I'd fallen in love with the continent of Africa and I was concerned at that time, it was the height of the, really, the elephant poaching crisis. And we were losing something like 100,000 elephants a year to poachers. So setting up Tusk was really my way of wanting to, to give something back. But I wasn't knowledgeable at that time. My beliefs, uh, my understanding of conservation has evolved over the last 30 years. And, and I think it probably got stronger and stronger. 
when you set up a charity, what are the things you need to think about? I mean, there's the charity commission bit, the practical governance stuff where you have to be compliant. What else goes into it? Because I imagine it's pretty similar to setting up a business. Well, for me, uh, it was it was essential that we were going to make sure that we were going to maximise the, the the funds that we raised getting directly into the field. So for the first five years of the charity's life, we didn't have any paid staff and it rode off the back of my own business. The trouble was that when I used to come into the office, I'd sort of have uh, some sort of financial paperwork and business on the left-hand side of my desk and there would be... A, African conservation on the right-hand side of my desk, and I was always drawn towards what I felt was the more interesting, more exciting part of my life, which was Africa. So, so it actually started to become quite a drain on my business. But so for the first first five five years, we had no uh, formal administration as such. But it was clear that the the charity was beginning to get some momentum, and so uh, we then took on uh, a director and who took it to the next stage. But all the time, it was really about trying to build up a strong network of supporters who believed in what we were doing. You know, we were, in many ways, a niche player. You know, we were a minnow compared with the WWFs of the world. But we felt strongly that we had a a role to play, that we were able to uh, go out and look and identify, you know, some of the sort of innovative new conservationists that were getting underway and we were able to invest in them and, and really take their story forward and try and build up their their work and really communicate it to, to the outside world. And just help me understand in those early years the kinds of things that you started to do, the kinds of things that we would then look and go, okay, they were the people that were helping resolve that issue or stopping that happening. I'm pleased to say that some of those early investments that we made um, have gone on to become real flagship conservation projects, not just for Africa, but actually in, indeed so globally. Uh, and one of the best examples I can give of that is the Lewa Wildlife Conservancy, which is now pretty well known, and is really a shining beacon of success in terms of the conservation of, well, first the rhino, the black rhino in particular, uh, in northern Kenya, but also uh, it provides the sanctuary to the Grevy zebra, which is, uh, for those people that don't know, is, is unlike the common zebra, it has a thin stripe, a pinstripe coat. And there are only sort of 2,000 of them left in the world today. But Lewa has probably the largest population within its, uh, its midst. But, but Lewa is interesting because it was the first time that I really understood or started to understand the need to engage with communities living around areas that were rich in in biodiversity and, and wildlife, and that the the long-term future of that wildlife was was really going to be reliant on the success in, in engaging those communities so that they could see and derive real benefits from the protection of, of those rhinos at, at Lewa and, and the other wildlife. And actually, Lewa is one of the um, big charities that Mishkondora supports. Stay with me for much more from my guest, Charlie May, who's coming back in a couple of minutes. But first, we're going to hear from the formerly mentioned Mishkondora and one of their partners who's going to be talking about some advice for your business. My name's Sharon Tan. I'm a partner in the employment team at Mishkondorea. One of the questions that I'm asked by clients most frequently is, how do I deal with somebody who is underperforming? It's a very difficult thing, actually, this to get right, and it crops up very frequently in practice. And the reason it's difficult to get right is that 
it's very difficult often for people to acknowledge that they aren't performing. We all find it very, a very difficult thing to admit, even to ourselves. And of course, it's very important to make sure that you handle things in a legally compliant manner whenever you are dealing with these issues. But I think it's as important to bear in mind that you are dealing with a human being because in practical terms, what I have seen is that people are much more likely to sue, litigation is more likely to materialise and unhappiness on all fronts is likely to result if people feel that they haven't been treated fairly properly and appropriately in the circumstances. So the two really go hand in hand and I think that is critical as a point to bear in mind whenever you are managing somebody who you don't think is coming up to scratch. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business but it's personal. You can hear all our former Jazz Shapers and indeed hear this programme again by asking Alexa to play Jazz Shapers and there you can hear many of the recent programmes or if you pop Jazz Shapers into iTunes or your preferred podcast platform, you can revel in the full archive. Uh, There are apparently, I believe my numbers are right, almost 400 Charlie Mayhews waiting to be listened to. But back to today, it is Charlie Mayhew. He's the co-founder and CEO of Tusk, the wildlife conservation charity. In 1990, Charlie, our awareness here sitting in the UK was average around conservation issues. There was no Extinction Rebellion. There was no sense of the green movement. It was beginning or it was kind of strange people that were vegans as well. And again, veganism was another thing that wasn't really rearing its head at all. We find ourselves in an incredibly different place where there is mainstream acceptance that we have problems as a, a group of humans. How different is it for you raising money in the context of such high awareness? Has it fundamentally made your job easier? You're absolutely right. The awareness levels are much, much higher, particularly amongst the younger generation. In that sense, I think it has made our life easier for people to understand the messaging that we're putting out there. But we are living in extraordinary times, and it's changed so much over the 30 years that I've been running the charity Uh, that I think there is finally a realisation that we are getting to a tipping point, both in terms of climate change, loss of biodiversity, uh, loss of, you know, some of the world's most iconic species. And we have to really now galvanise not only public support, but obviously government's support. And we have to uh, somehow get far greater sense of urgency and priority into protecting this planet. And we have abused it for far too long. You know, my generation, my parents' generation, I don't think we were as aware as we should have been, but now we are, so we have to move. And we can fix this, but we've got a very short window of time. Does it make you angry or upset? Because, you know, people in business deal with business problems and their business problems are, I'm not selling enough biros. Back to you and the biro salesman. Your issue is a bit more serious. I want to save the planet. I want to ensure biodiversity is protected because that underpins the, uh, the ecology of a place, the environment in general. I've got animals who are being poached and so on. There must be times when it just breaks you. I've always said that to be a conservationist, you've got to be an optimist. Um, and uh, that's certainly the case for me. But I think one of the challenges we have is that we live uh, as humans now in this incredibly fast-moving world and with so many challenges that face us on a day-to-day basis. And that when we here in the UK or you know, in the Western world 
start to talk about the challenges faced by Africa and its people and its wildlife and its natural heritage, it sometimes feels very far removed from the everyday problems that, you know, we might be experiencing within our own environment. And uh, so from the conservation's perspective, we are competing not only for funds and everything else, but we are competing for mind space with everything else. You know, if you've got a, a relative who's sadly, you know, contracted cancer and, and you know, that takes up your time and, and, and that becomes your priority. You know, somehow, I go back to making the point that we have to elevate the urgency and the priority that we give to protecting the natural world. As Sir David Attenborough said not long ago, that every breath of air we take and every mouthful of food that we eat is dependent on the natural world. We have to look after it. It's not a luxury. It's a must-have. Stay with me with my business shaper here. It's Charlie Mayhew, MBE, I should have mentioned as well. Been there for quite a while. Um, he's co-founder CEO of Tusk and making some incredibly important points about, indeed, our planet. Time for more music right now. It's Cannibal Adley with The Sticks. <laughs> There's lots of uplifting music here on Jazz FM. It's Jazz Shapers on a Saturday morning. That was Cannibal Adley with The Sticks, and I'm with Charlie Mayhew. We've been talking about tusk, uh, conservation, and the environment as well. In terms of the policy work that you've moved into, um, and I say moved into, but most recently around the ivory trade and actually affecting legislation and looking at the legal structure to affect change, just tell me a little bit about why that seemed to be a way of resolving or part resolving the issue. Was it because it was the last resort or was it because it was a way of garnering, as you referred to before, not just communities who are local to specific areas where they're endangered species, but government? Well, when you look at the illegal wildlife trade, which is worth something like $20 billion a year, there are two issues. One, it's driven by international organized crime, by and large, but it's also reacting to the demand from predominantly the Far East to products like ivory, rhino horn, pangolin scales. And so in order to reduce the demand, it is absolutely necessary to legislate and to get governments to legislate to, uh, to control this because in some cultures, it's so deeply ingrained that unless you legislate, it's not going to uh, have an impact. And uh, from Tusk's perspective... We're not a political organization by any stretch of the imagination. But because uh, we're very fortunate in having a royal patron in the Duke of Cambridge, who has been very vocal on this issue in trying to reduce the illegal wildlife trade, 
and eradicate it, that we as an organization have provided him inevitably with the platforms to speak out on and therefore have wanted to make sure that we provide all the support we can to make that work. And I was lucky enough to go to China with him when he had an extraordinary meeting with President Xi, uh, which, you know, uh, Prince William is far too modest to even suggest this, but I'm, I'm quite convinced that he had considerable influence in getting China to uh, introduce a domestic ivory ban at the beginning of last year. Uh, that is really remarkable because three or four years ago, any conservationists have been asked that we get China to change its mind on this. You would have said, not, no hope. Um, but it's happened. Closer to home, we've been uh, very much working with government to introduce uh, the Ivory Act here, and I'm glad to say that that has been passed, although there are still challenges to that act that have been brought forward by the antiques trade. But the reality is that the world has moved on. We don't need ivory. And I'm sorry, you know, it is far more important that a species that's been around on this planet probably longer than man should continue to exist. And, and we cannot be participants in driving a market for ivory and then be wagging our finger at the Far East and say, thou shalt not trade in ivory if we're still trading ivory in this country. So I'm very pleased that the government have, have acted on this. I saw a little bit of steel just then, uh, Charlie, a slight change of tone in the sense that this is serious and you focused a lot of time on doing this. What did it feel like when both China signed up and then the UK have signed up and various countries around the world have signed up to stopping the ivory trade, just in terms of an, an emotional reaction from you? Yeah, no, it, it was, I mean, it, obviously it, it was a, um, a big team effort. Lots of conservation organisations, you know, have been calling for this and we all work together very effectively as a, as a collaborative group. Uh, and, you know, fortunately we, you know, uh, the government did respond um, and... Initially, it was uh, under Owen Patterson that picked up the baton uh, and it got passed on and, and then Michael Gove has finished it off and, and put through the act. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was a, a great day when that was put through. Stay with me for my final chat with my guest today. That's Charlie May, who just in case you haven't been paying attention, plus we'll be playing a track from Alex Maleros. That's coming up in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was Alex Maleros with Papaya. Apparently, yeah. Charlie Mayhew is with me just for a few more minutes, and we've been talking about the amazing work Tusker's done. The I can see it now, Charlie. The side of the desk. One side was the, the business you were running was financial advice and things, and the other side was the African conservationist world. And every time, I imagine you just veered slightly to the right, and sort of the other thing just disappeared. Here we are, thirty years later. You mentioned the recent success legislatively around the ivory trade. We hear about the environment, we hear about climate, we hear about sustainability, biodiversity, so many things which are colliding now. For you, what's the one big area where this all coalesces that you're going to have to focus on? Absolutely. So, so the illegal wildlife trade has, has sort of grabbed the headlines, if you like, over a number of years. But 
seriously, the biggest train coming down the track is loss of habitat. That's our biggest single challenge. And it's not only a challenge for conservationists, I think it's a challenge in terms of climate change as well. If you look at the rapid expansion of the human population, particularly in Africa, uh, its population is set to double uh, from 1.2 billion to 2.4 billion in the next 30 years by 2050. Uh, the impact on land and space, not only for species, but just for, for all biodiversity, is a serious worry. Because actually, when we talk about climate change and the, you know, the need to reduce our carbon footprint, nature has got a number of solutions to this. But if we also continue to eradicate and remove and destroy not only forests but open savanna and, and, and uh, wild wilderness areas, that is also a contributor to reducing the planet's ability to take up the carbon. And, and so, you know, it's all about space. So what's the answer? I mean, there will be, as you said, you just outlined a an exponential increase in population of just one continent in the world and within the next I mean, 30 years or so, what does one do? Is this just a question of judicious balance? Is this more, I mean, what, what, do we ring-fence these beautiful areas of space which provide us with, uh, you know, huge amounts of um, uh, fresh air and things? What, what, what are you going to be doing? So there's some great examples of how, uh, take a country like Kenya, 70% of its wildlife lives outside national parks. And that uh, is a, a pattern that uh, goes across Africa. The future of that wildlife and the future of those, that wilderness area relies on this interaction with the communities. So we, I go back to what I was saying earlier, which is we have to uh, make sure that we are introducing initiatives whereby local communities are benefiting and see tangible financial benefits from preserving the environment in which they exist so that they can coexist with wildlife. And if we can maintain that wild space and where it gets tight, ensure that we maintain corridors so that the larger megafauna like elephant that need to migrate and need vast landscape to move across, is that if we've got interconnecting corridors uh, between the protected areas, then we have some hope. It's been really, really good to talk to you. Uh, good luck. Uh, I hope that um, awareness levels stay high and that people are engaged. And as you said, that that balancing act of ensuring that local communities also prosper, that feels like to me that, that must be the right way forward. Just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Well, I've chosen a Rolling Stones track, Midnight Rambler. Uh, and the reason for that is that the very first celebrity patron that I got on board with Tusk was Ronnie Wood. And he's become uh, a good friend and a fantastic supporter of the charity over the last 30 years and so I thought it'd be appropriate to have this sort of bluesy number Midnight Rambler That was Midnight Rambler from the Rolling Stones, a song choice of my business shaper today, Charlie Mayhew. He talked about the importance of engaging local communities so that they understand the benefits to them. 
He talked about being an eternal optimist and arguably anyone in business, let alone someone like Charlie in the world of charity, has got to be an eternal optimist. And really importantly, he talked about elevating the urgency around addressing the natural world and its protection. You can hear our conversation with Charlie all over again whenever you want to. As a podcast, just search Jazz Shapers or ask your smart speaker to play Jazz Shapers. Or you can catch this programme again Monday morning just before the business breakfast at 5am. We're back next Saturday from 9 with our next business shaper. It's Tim Little, English shoe designer and the owner and creative director of the 146-year-old shoe company called Grenson. Up next today after the news at 10, it's Nigel Williams with more music, interviews and live sessions too. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoyed that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishkon.com forward slash jazz shapers.